Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I was driving down the 5 freeway the other day in the fast lane, the carpool lane, actually, and you know, we all know, that in California, the real speed limit is at least 10, maybe 15, maybe 20 miles over the stated speed limit, right? Can I get an amen? All right. Especially in those faster lanes, if you're in the carpool lane, you better be going faster than the other lanes because that's why you're in that lane, right? And you did a lot of work. You went across five, six, seven lanes sometimes just to get over there. You better get a reward that is getting to your destination faster. And I mean, it's actually dangerous to drive the speed limit on a Southern California freeway, right? That's not the flow of traffic. And if you drive below the speed limit, you're probably going to cause an accident and at the very least... You're going to get a whole entire freeway up in a road rage, honking their horns at you. So I'm driving down the five, and all of a sudden the traffic starts to slow. The brake lights are coming on like there's some kind of hazard ahead. The horns are blaring. People seem to be so frustrated at what's going on that they are illegally crossing over the carpool lane, passing this super slow car. They're passing them on the right. That's at least a $341 violation, I think, right? Maybe it's up to 481 now, I'm not sure, but you know people are frustrated if they are willing to break the law, risk the fine, honking like crazy, passing that double yellow line. At first I'm thinking, you know what this might be? This might be a SASM. Anybody know what a SASM is? Yeah, my family does. A SASM is a self-appointed speed monitor, all right? If you're one of those people, I have a problem with you, I'm going to talk to you after the service. But then I put my pastor hat on, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe they're having some car trouble. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And so as I get closer to my turn to decide, will I break the law? Will I cross the double yellow line? Will I pass on the right? Will I honk at this crazy car going five miles below the speed limit in the carpool lane, which is really like 30 miles below in California terms? The closer I get, the people in front of me, it seems like they're just mad at this car. And then I get close enough to see it. You see this car? Honk if you love Jesus. Jesus saves. <laughs> Hawk, if you love Jesus, 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 Jesus. And at this point, I'm super upset because these people driving this car are not representing Jesus well at all. And then it gets even worse. Look what was down in the right-hand corner. Yes, the J was there. My friends, that is no way to connect, grow, and share. That's our discipleship pathway in the J. So I kick it into overdrive, pass them on the left, okay? And I look over at the person in the car, and what do I see? She's thinking everyone must be honking because they love Jesus. <laughs> you shouldn't be driving five miles below in the speed lane, or in the carpool lane in the uh, California freeway, especially with a honk if you love Jesus sticker and a J on your car. Come on, Christian. That's no way to live. Now, I do interrupt this, in, this sermon. The introductory narrative is based upon a true story. The names of those individuals involved, specific details, locations have been changed to protect the innocent and for creative homiletical license, okay? <clears throat> but it's a story of good intentions gone wrong, right? Having a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on your car, driving five miles per hour below in the carpool lane in Southern California is just not right. Even a Christian might question their faith after experiencing something like that. But all joking aside, I think it's a good metaphor. It's a good metaphor for us today because a lot of times we as Christians, we live our lives with good intentions, 
We live our lives with good intentions, and we might even be thinking that everyone out there agrees with what we're doing because we hear the horns honking. But we don't realize that the message we are sending is not being received in the way that we think it's being received. There's a reason that our culture has a phrase, right? The phrase goes something like, the road to is paved with good intentions. And I think all of us here today, if we're honest, we don't want to have our lives marked just by good intentions. We want our lives to be marked by good living. I don't want to be driving down the freeway of life with a honk for Jesus sticker and making everyone mad at me while being completely oblivious to what's going on. But sometimes I think we settle for that. Too often in our walk with God, we settle for good intentions instead of good living. And when we do that, we miss the mark. God's people has a history of doing that, though, of missing the mark, right? The Israelites, they had the message, but they missed the Messiah. St. Peter, one of the 12, spent the most time in Jesus' presence, but he didn't get Jesus' purpose. The church in Galatia was given God's gifts, but they didn't get God's grace. Too often, as followers of Jesus, we have good intentions, but we are completely missing out on the opportunity that God has for us. Good life. Abundant life, good living. He's called us to be his disciples, his workers. But we're asking ourselves this morning, how are we doing with that? Pastor Tim, he mentioned it last week in his sermon. How are we as Christians doing at representing Jesus in our world? Because when I think of Jesus, I think of grace, love, kindness, joy. I think of the greatest unity movement in the history of the world. But much of the research out there is showing that we are being seen. We are being seen as judgmental, hypocritical, too political, old-fashioned, racist, out-of-touch, insensitive, boring, anti-this, anti-that, anti-these, anti-those. And as Christians, when we first hear that, we get a little defensive. Some of that defensiveness is warranted. The Christian church has done quite a bit to eradicate world hunger, poverty, the devastation caused by natural disasters. It doesn't get much press. But the surveys reveal that people aren't just basing their perception of Christianity on media assessments alone. The research says they're basing it on personal contact with Christians. Kinnaman and Lyons, they write this in their research that they did. They said, many of those outside of Christianity reject Jesus. They reject Jesus because they feel rejected by Christians. If Jesus is known for grace which is getting a free gift that you don't deserve, and we are known for judgment, which is getting what you do deserve. We have miserably failed. But by definition, judgment and grace are opposites. We've missed the mark. If Jesus is known for unity and we are known for hypocrisy, we've missed the mark. If Jesus is known for his good works and we are known for hypocrisy and division, we've missed the mark. And it's out of this tension. It's out of this tension that Actually, the Red Letter Challenge was born. It's not a book. It's not a study. It's not some kind of curriculum. The Red Letter Challenge was born out of that tension, about a desire to represent the real Jesus to the world, to people, to go beyond good intentions and to go to good living, the kind of living as God's people 
that makes a loving God, a kind God, a gracious God, a joyful God, a merciful God known to the world. The kind of living that says, after all that Jesus has done for me, I'm not content. I'm not content with representing Jesus in the way that we have been described. A kind of living that says, knowing the grace that he's won for me, knowing the grace that he's given to me, knowing the change that he's brought to my life, I cannot and I will not sit back and let this be the picture of Christianity in the world. A kind of living where we stand up and we say, we don't just want to change the story we tell of Jesus, we have to. But the question becomes how? How do we do that? You see, sometimes we in church leadership, myself included, we've only offered a feel-good Christianity. We've often sought out just feeling better as people at the expense of being better as people. Too often we've sat on the sidelines instead of getting in the game. Too often we read the manual, but we don't build the bicycle, let alone ride it. We watch how-to surf videos on YouTube, but we don't actually get out in the water and ride the waves. We say our marriage vows, but we don't live them out in sacrificial, loving, deep relationship. We have good intentions, but we're confused about good living. So what does it look like? What does it look like for us as a community to practically follow Jesus daily? What does it look like to have the words of Jesus in our lives and put them into practice? That's what the red Letter challenge is all about, in case you don't know, uh, in the Bible, some Bibles have it, that the red letters in the New Testament, those are the words of Jesus, the red letters. And so we're asking, what does it look like for us to go back to Jesus, to consider his words, to consider the red letters of the New Testament? And so over the next 40 days, next six weeks, we as a church, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it in worship, we're going to do it in our studies, we're going to do it in our life groups, we're going to do it as individuals. Pick up this book, you don't have to be in a life group to do it, pick up this book in the courtyard. It starts on Tuesday, day one, for 40 days, letting the red words of Jesus come into our life. And what we're going to do over these next 40 days is essentially two things. This is Jesus' idea, the leadership just didn't come up with this, right? In the most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, at the very end, we just read it. Jesus said, he said, hear my words and put them into practice. Two things, hear and do. Psalm 1 was our psalm for this morning. It said the same thing. If you look at Psalm 1, it says, delight in the word, meditate on the word day and night and you'll bear fruit and prosper. James 1 said, listen to the word and do it. Look intently and continue in the word and do it. Jesus says the same exact thing. We just read it a moment ago. But I love how Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases Jesus' words. He says, it's as if Jesus says this, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. I love this phrase here. If you work these words into your life, You were like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But, Jesus says, if you just use my words in Bible studies and worship services, I'd say, if you just do that and you don't work them into your life, 
You're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. A storm rolled in. The waves came up. It collapsed like a house of cards. Words to build a life on. Words that you work into your life. That's what the red letter challenge is, is to hear the words of Jesus and to practice them. And if you look at all the words of Jesus in the New Testament, you can boil it down to five different ways of life, five different ways of living, being. The first is just being with Jesus, having a relationship with him, spending time with him. The second is forgiving. That's being receiving the forgiveness, being forgiven by God and forgiving others. Serving, being served by God and serving Jesus and his purposes and his people. Giving, our God is generous for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We are generous people because he is generous to us and going. We're not just the hands and feet of Jesus, we are also the mouthpiece. And so each week this is what we're going to do. The next six weeks we're going to look at these five things. We're going to look at them in our life groups. We're going to look at them in church. In the Red Letter Challenge, you'll be looking each day at a unique aspect to each of those things to put it into your life, to let those words seep into your heart and into your life, to your living. But there's two things that we have to remind ourselves about this challenge. And first off on that challenge, the Red Letter Challenge, right? Some of you guys out there are a little competitive, right? You hear the word challenge and you listen up. I'm going to get this. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to win. I'm going to show you, Pastor Hayes. I'm going to get this thing done. But I might caution you for a moment. Think about the red letter challenge. It's not a win thing. It's not I'm going to do it better than my spouse or someone in my life group thing. It's not a bunch of check marks on the to-do list that we're going to get done for our spiritual inventory. And I hope you hear me on this. The red letter challenge is an invitation. It's an invitation to go beyond good intentions to good living. To live more with Jesus and his people and to become more like Jesus. In fact, one way to think about it might be to think about it as a, an apprenticeship more than anything. Because what does an apprentice do? An apprentice lives with their teacher, spends time with their teacher, is guided by their teacher, learns from their teacher, hands-on, doing it and reflecting on it and refining upon it. And so to do that, you've got to be with your teacher, your mentor, your guide. You've got to be with Jesus. So the first thing I hope that you would do in this Red Letter Challenge is you will invite Jesus into the experience. Invite Jesus into the next 40 days of your life. It's why he came. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Don't do the words of Jesus without the presence of Jesus. And the second thing I hope that you'll do is you'll invite other people into our Red Letter Challenge experience. Invite your family in. Invite your friends in. Join a life group. We were created to work the words of Jesus into our lives together. And right, if Jesus, Jesus who's fully God, he did that. He had 12, you know, guys that he hung out with. If he did it, maybe we should too. We got close to 90 life groups, hopefully 100 by the end of the day that are starting up this very week. It's not too late to sign up. Go out in the courtyard. Join a life group. And to rise up to this red letter challenge, I encourage you to invite Jesus in and surround yourself with his people. I've been praying about this red letter challenge for, for a while. And part of my prayers have been that all of us as God's people would spend more time with God. And when it comes to forgiveness, I hope that all of us, myself included, that we would forgive at least one 
person in our lives that we thought we'd never be able to forgive. That we would serve sacrificially. That we would become a more generous people. And that we become bolder and more courageous and more relevant and winsome in the way we talk about our faith. It's my prayer that we go beyond good intentions to good living. That we represent the real Jesus to this world like and live a life like he does. A life of grace, a life of joy, a life of kindness, a life of mercy, a life of unity, a life of love. And if you're one of those bumper sticker people, and if you have a honk if you love Jesus sticker, maybe you'll put a different type of sticker on your car. I saw this one the other day. I thought it resonates with the world. <laughs> if you love Jesus, seek justice because any fool can honk. It's kind of true. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, the red letter challenge from Jesus. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Amen? Amen. Let's do